Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Uh, this is Family Sunday, so our kids uh, first through sixth grade are going to stay in worship because you can handle it, right? All right. But uh, kindergarten down, there is classes available uh, as well as uh, nursery child care. Uh, just a few things. I, I hate, nobody likes commercials, but we do want to communicate a few things. If this is your first time with us, there are connection cards in the pews. And if there's you know, prayer requests or if you want to get connected with the life of the church, you can use that connection card uh, to let us know who you are and how we can best connect you. And there's little black boxes by the, the doors there on the side. You can just put those connection cards in there. We also, uh, during COVID, are not passing the plate for offering, but we thank those of you who continue to give faithfully to the ministry of the church. It allows us to, to bless our community. Thank you, wife. And to, uh, to continue to support church plants and missionaries in foreign fields and the ministry uh, here at the church. So thanks to those of you who are giving. Again, giving can be done through the black boxes or many of you give online as well. Um, it's cool to see some of the youth sitting up here in the front. They're, they're actually going to do an event after church today. But uh, October, is it the 2nd? Yeah. October 2nd, our youth ministry, All In, is going to relaunch. Lavelle leads that. Uh, so that's on a Saturday. It's going to launch on a Saturday night, but it's going to typically be every Wednesday night. So if you are in middle school or high school and you want to connect with that, that is happening very soon. And then lastly, um, we're going to be doing membership orientation. So if you're new to our church And you want to get kind of behind the curtain a little bit. What is the church about? How did this church start? Uh, What prompted uh, the the church to to be in existence here in Renton? And what's our vision, values? What are we about? This is a great opportunity for you to come. Our membership orientation. uh, Lunch is provided. Child care is provided. We just need to know you're coming so we can have enough of all that. So if you're interested in that, please indicate that on your connection card as well. I've never had... Communion juice go down the wrong pipe. That was fun. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. We know the story of Jesus. Uh, even if you've never been to church before, even if this is your first time, you have some idea of who Jesus is. Typically, unfortunately, because of the Renaissance art period, we picture Jesus as a white European that looks more Southern Californian than Middle Eastern. We know that's not how he would have looked at all. I've, I've really appreciated this uh, series, some of you have seen it, called The Chosen. Probably the best depiction of real life in the Middle East around Jesus' time as any I've ever seen. Um, and what I love about The Chosen is it, is it integrates in with the biblical story real life. So I can imagine over the years other pastors have choked on communion wine as well. Like it's happened, right? Right? I can imagine in that supper when Jesus was leading his disciples in this, that there were things that happened. People probably burped and other things at the dinner table that happened at normal dinner times, right? But oftentimes, when we approach Scripture, we approach it flat. We, we approach Jesus monotone. And, and even if there's an exclamation point in the text, we read it as if Jesus is always serious. I know Jesus had a sense of humor because he made me, Right? Like I, I know that there, that there is a character to who he was. And so what we're going to be doing in the, the weeks ahead is we're going to be looking afresh at the story of Jesus. So if you're a young person and you're like, yeah, I know who Jesus is. I, I saw a cartoon once. 
or I got a lesson in, in Sunday school once. This is going to be an opportunity for you to rediscover Jesus. If you've been walking with Jesus your entire life and you're in your 80s, this is going to be an opportunity for you to revisit who Jesus is and hopefully to be renewed in your love for him. The story of Jesus is, is told four times in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four gospel accounts, gospel meaning good news, of the life of Jesus. Now, if you've ever read them before, you're like, why are they different? Because there are four different authors under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that recounted the events of Jesus' life. So some focus on different things. Some, as they're unpacking the gospel story, like Matthew is thinking specifically of Jewish folks. And so Matthew opens with a genealogy, connecting Jesus to his historic Jewish roots. Some, like John, are more poetic. It opens up with, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. This beautiful poetic connection between Jesus and the God of creation. Luke approaches the Gospels uh, more analytical. He's a a physician. And so he wants to to lay it out and to encapsulate different events that were happening. And this morning we're going to start in one of the shortest Gospels. The Gospel of Mark. Mark gets to the point. He wants us to immediately jump to the way that Jesus lived and to think about how that affects our lives today. So what is it that makes the story of Jesus so compelling? What makes Jesus the most impactful historical figure ever? Like, if you look at the top 100 most influential people in history, Christian or not, Jesus is always at the top of the list. So if somebody asked that question of you, what makes Jesus so historic, so life-changing for you? How would you answer that question? Well, how you answer it really depends on who you know Jesus to be. Was Jesus a man? Yes, he was. Well, who was Jesus as a man? In his humanity, what do we see about Jesus? Who is Jesus as God? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God in the beginning. Jesus is God incarnate, God in flesh. Who is he as God incarnate? What is his personality like? Jesus had a personality. What are the things that are important to Jesus? Well, we can see these and know these things because of his Word. And the historical record of the world pivots on Jesus' arrival, history, his story. It pivots on his arrival, and the world has forever been changed by the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. You can not believe in him, but it's really hard to not believe that he existed. In fact, no credible historians deny this. No credible historians deny that Jesus lived, but many deny that Jesus did what he said he did, that he overcame death, and that he will one day appear on this earth to once and for all deal with evil and injustice and to lead those who desire righteousness, that is right living, into eternity with him. Does anybody desire to not live right in this room? Okay, just checking. 
Nobody ever grows up saying that, right? Like, I sure hope I lead an evil life. I sure, I sure hope I get trapped in sin and addiction and bondage. I sure hope my life just blows up and everything about it is broken. Nobody wants that. But Jesus is the only one who says, I can lead you into a righteous life. And he says this, he doesn't say, because you have to do all these things. He's saying, because I lived a righteous life first, and I made a way for you to follow me. So that's what we want to look at as we look at the gospel of Mark. In the weeks that uh, ahead, we're going to jump back into the story, this history-changing story of Jesus. And we're going to look at Mark's account of his life and consider how what it means to follow Jesus today and to lead others to him. So as we look at the story of Jesus, we're going to ask a few questions about this text. And I don't care how old or how young you are, you can do this. You can approach Scripture and you can ask questions. You can say, hey, what does the Gospel of Mark show us about Jesus? What does it mean? What does it show us about what it means to follow Jesus? Now, he's not here anymore, right? So how do we, looking back at who he was and what he called his followers to do, how can we apply that today? And then thirdly, what does this story show us about how to lead others to Jesus? And I just realized something. Stuart's supposed to come up and read our passage. So Stuart, I'm going to have Stuart come up and read our passage today. We're going to jump into the Gospel of Mark, and Stuart is going to lead us into that, reading Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. You can follow along in your scripture with him. Good morning, church. How are we doing? Got to put my eyes on. So, uh, Mark... 1 through 15. It's uh, titled, John the Baptist First Prepares the Way. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. By the way, I'm trying to do this in the least monotone voice possible. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn apart or being torn open and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. 
at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals, and the angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. All right. Thanks, Stuart. So if you open your Bibles and you follow along with him, stay there because now we're going to look at this opening introduction to who Jesus is. And verses 1 through 13 of the Gospel of Mark are really a prologue. They're, they're an introduction to what then is going to follow in the life of Jesus. And the opening verses of Mark um, kind of orient us to the past and point us toward the fulfillment. The, the very first verse says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in, the, in Isaiah the prophet. And so what Mark does is he's, as he's orienting us to this story that's about to unfold is he points us backwards, backwards to these prophecies that are hundreds and hundreds of years old. And he also orients us to the, really tying these stories into the history of the world. That from the very beginning, as God created the heavens and the earth, as you created humanity, as sin came in and separated God from man, God immediately hatched a plan to reunite humanity with himself. So from the very beginning, from the very opening, before we know anything about Jesus, there's a statement that orients us both to the person and the purpose of Jesus. Number one, the person, is he is the son of God. And that is, he is God in the flesh, carrying out the will of God. Oftentimes when we think of sonship, we think of it very literally. But what scripture wants us to understand here is that Jesus is sent from God. He comes from God. He is God, God in the flesh. And he's also carrying out the will of God. So there's a, a sense, and we get this later, that he is submitting to God, even though he is God. And this is the Trinity aspect that's very hard for us to understand. But he is the Son of God, and he is bringing a message of what? Good news. Say that with me. Good news. So there's this wild dude named John. I mean, wild as in he wears camel's hair, he eats locusts, and he eats honey. Uh, I know the Mariners, at least at one point, you could buy fried crickets, you know, at the Mariners Stadium to eat. I don't know that he was deep frying these, these locusts. I think he was just plucking them off and eating them. And so John has this very kind of like wild, kind of almost sounds unhinged, right, in the way that he is. And yet there is something about him that is compelling to people. He's not just a crazy guy, even though he may live a little wild. He has a message that is drawing people to him. And we see in, in the opening that people are coming from everywhere, from the city, from the country, to hear this message that John is preaching. And what is the message that he's preaching? He's preaching a message of repentance. So we talked about earlier, nobody grows up wanting to be evil. Well, people know that they're in sin. And so when somebody offers them a chance at, at a fresh start, most folks are going to jump at that. And so John is preaching this message saying, hey, repent, turn away, turn around. And in order to do that, to, to symbolize that change of attitude, that change of heart, John baptizes them. Everybody knows what baptism is. It's an immersion in the water. 
And then a coming up out of the water symbolizing like death and rebirth. So John's got quite a following. I mean, people are coming from everywhere. But he makes it very clear that this isn't about him. That John is just the opening act. And so he says in verse 8, he says, hey, I'm baptizing you with water. But the one that's going to come, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, when we think of the good news, when we think of the gospel, we often think that the Old Testament doesn't have a lot to say about good news. But it does. So when John says this, he's like, hey, I'm doing this thing with water that's deeply symbolic. It's good. But man, something else is coming that's much more powerful, much more impactful. When he says the word Holy Spirit, it triggers something. It activates something in people's minds. People that had had known the promises of God before. Ezekiel chapter 36, written hundreds of years before Jesus, says this, I will give you, this is God speaking, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And listen to this. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So there's a promise hundreds of years before where God himself is saying, hey, you, you, you can't do it your own, on your own. You can't fulfill all the laws by yourself. You can't live as righteously as you want to live. But I'm going to give you my spirit so that you can. And then in Joel chapter 2, again, good, this is good news, right, From the, in the Old Testament. Joel chapter 2 says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So these are promises that were made in the Old Testament of good news. And here is John saying, hey, it's going to happen soon. These promises are going to be fulfilled. Somebody is coming that will give you this spirit that has been promised for a long time. So verse 8 is an extremely powerful statement by this wild and crazy man named John. Now what we'll see later is as Jesus starts his ministry, those that are messed up and need to be made right, they will fight to get as close to Jesus as they can. But those who want to deflect judgment and cover up their sin, well, they will fight to have Jesus killed. And this is the response, the the different responses we see to this day of people who consider the claims of Jesus. There are those, many today, who have tried every promise of the world. They've taken on every identity that there is to take on. They've they've pursued every possibility of being fulfilled and happy in their life. And they found themselves so lost and confused because none of those could achieve the righteousness they wanted. And so through acknowledging their brokenness, they came to a place of humility in their lives where they said, the only way I can do this is with God. And in that moment when they place their faith in Jesus, they get the promised spirit that allows them to live like God intended. But today there are still those that are prideful enough to think they control their own destiny. And I don't know how after the last two years people still think that. But there are people that think that. If we just have the right science, the right vaccination, the right economy, the right government, well, then my destiny will be fulfilled. 
And these people, they are numb to spiritual truths. They mock the very notion of Jesus or of a creator, and they can literally look at the works of God and deny that he exists. This has always been the reaction in history to who Jesus is. Some recognize their need and receive his, his blessing. Some continue to reject it. So guess who was responding to Wild John's message of repentance? Well, all the folks in the country and in the city who knew they needed a change. Now, remember, every time you hear the word repentance, what does repentance mean? Young people, if I were to say to you, you need to repent, what would you think that means? It stirs up something in us of what? Of self-righteousness. Repent of what? I'm fine. Everything's good. Whenever I see those guys on the street with the sign, I'm like, stop it, guys. I'm good. Why is that? Because we have a wrong understanding of repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. It's that simple. So when John is saying to repent for your sins, he's saying change your mind about the things that you're doing. See them for what they are. You're addicted. Guess whose fault that is? You made those, those decisions. But you can change your mind. You can have a change. Now, here's the thing. We change our mind, and then what happens? Well, then actions follow. But it has to start with a change of mind. And once we repent, then we do feel sorrow. We do confess our sin. And then we do desire a different way of living. And this is where Jesus meets us. Verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At that time. Say that with me. At that time. This is a pivot point in the story, in the prologue. At that time means all of a sudden the, sh the focus is shifting from John to Jesus. The words, the preparation that, Jesus, that John had, had shared, they have all led up to this moment. Now, baptism is significant. We already talked about that. It's symbolic of what? Repentance. It's symbolic of a desire to live differently. As folks were coming to John, they were making an outward statement through baptism that expressed this inward desire to live differently. Now, mixed in with that crowd was Jesus. Crazy to me. Like, all, this, all these people, right? And Jesus is a part of this crowd. What could it mean that Jesus, who was sinless was being baptized along with sinners. Does it mean that Jesus at this point was a sinner? No. What it means, I see three things here. I see number one, I see an identification. Jesus identifies with sinners. The, the very arrival of Jesus, he doesn't come in with an entourage, with flowing white robes, as a priest, commanding those to bow before him, which he could have done. What he does is he comes in with the regular folk. 
And he identifies with people that are lost in their sin. Not because he is, but because he's about to offer something to these sinners. Right alongside of them. And so, no, that's the first thing I see. The second thing is we see this transition. As Jesus is baptized by John, the transition of John's ministry is about to go out and Jesus' ministry is about to come into fruition. Baptism with water is still going to be symbolic, but now the Holy Spirit is going to be the one that does the, the true baptism through Jesus' work. And then the third thing I see here is I see this as a symbol because later on Jesus would continue to tell his disciples to be baptized. Now as a symbol of the promise of the Holy Spirit that they've received. So we do that. Some of you don't know, but right here, there's a, there's a tank, a baptismal tank. And for those of people in our church that have placed their faith in Jesus, we baptize, remembering the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's, a, it's an identity statement for us, saying that we're committing to follow Jesus. And if you haven't done that, let's talk. We'd love to do that and celebrate with you. So this is a, a very brief blip in the story of Jesus' life as he comes in with his crowd, as he gets baptized, but it's deeply significant. The very instant that Jesus comes up out of the water, we see the first clue that everything is about to change. That earth and heaven are about to collide together. That heaven itself is now crossing over into earth. That a restoration is now going to be set into motion. But there's another thing that happens that shows how Jesus identifies with humanity. Jesus is about to deal with temptation. Verses 12 and 13 say, At once, after Jesus is baptized, the Spirit sends him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and, and angels attended him. Now, some of the other gospel accounts unpack this temptation in a little bit more depth. But we can imagine what it would have been like for Jesus in the desert. 40 days of battle against physical hunger and a spiritual enemy. Physical desire and a spiritual enemy. Jesus was led into hostile territory. Wild animals are around him. Satan's coming at him with temptations, offering him food in the midst of his temptation. But yet, Jesus was not alone. This is something important to keep in mind in our walk with God. Unlike so many false teachers in our day that treat commitment to Jesus like some sort of magic solution to all of your problems. That, hey, if you just say yes to Jesus, then your wildest dreams are going to be fulfilled. He wants you to prosper. So you, you want a mansion? Just claim you have a mansion. You want health? Just claim that you have health. Jesus will do that for you. This stands in stark contrast to that. Because what happens is as the heavens open up and as the spirit descends on Jesus, he is led into the desert where he deals with a, a physical battle and a spiritual battle where the enemy comes after him. And this is true for so many of us. When we say yes to Jesus, we then become a threat. A threat to what Satan is trying to do. And so sometimes our desires, our, 
the, the, tem- the things we're tempted with, they, they get magnified when we say yes to Jesus. Things sometimes get harder. And all of a sudden, we, we feel like more under attack spiritually than we've ever felt before. And, and I would even say, if you haven't felt those moments, it may be because you're not a threat. You're not walking in the calling that God has called you to walk in. But here's the good news is that as we deal with the very real temptations of our own sinful nature and of the spiritual attacks in our lives, God is always with us. What does it say? It says the angels attended him. The Bible says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He says this later on. He will guide you into all truth. And so following Jesus sometimes means having to deal with very real battles in our lives. The temptations of our own desires. Probably some of the strongest for us. But God is with us. So as the narrative moves along, we get this little kind of note in this prologue saying, after John was put in prison, now, we'll get to the backstory of why John is put in prison in chapter 6. But it says, after John is put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, there's that word again, and believe the good news. So where John was calling people to repent, to get ready for the arrival of the Savior, of the Messiah, Jesus is calling them to repent because he's there now. Think differently. See me for who I am. And so Jesus, this is the launching point for his ministry. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to see, see what Jesus did. We're going to see his power on display. We're going to see his compassion. We're going to see his truth which cuts to our hearts. And through all of this, we're going to ask ourselves, do I really know Jesus? Do I really trust Jesus? And hopefully the answer is yes. And out of that, we're then going to say, okay, <laughs> this is good news. So how do we lead other people to it? How do we follow Jesus today in the 21st century? So I want us to think about these questions as we look at the text in the weeks ahead. Who Jesus is, how to follow Jesus, and how we might lead others to follow him. And from our passage this morning, there's four things that I think we can take away. The first thing is, to know Jesus is to know God. You can't know Jesus. You can't know God without knowing Jesus. Heaven opened up on the day that Jesus was baptized. And when you and I place our faith in Jesus and identify with him in baptism, that same spirit that moved in Jesus now moves in us. It leads us to the life that God has in mind for us. The second thing we see from the text today is you can't follow Jesus without repentance. You just can't. It's our starting point of faith. Believing in Jesus requires having a change of mind, being oriented to his truth. 
Repentance is the center of our faith. The more we believe Jesus, the more we see things as God would have us see them. I'll give you an illustration of this. How many of you, when you left your parents' house, started seeing that, in fact, your parents did know a lot of what they were talking about? Like, they actually had a lot of wisdom. In that moment, you have what? A change of mind about the wisdom of your parents. I remember this several years after I left my parents' household. And you know what I found myself doing a lot in those years after this aha moment? Calling my dad a lot. Hey, dad, so what should I do in this situation? Where just a few years before, I was like, I know what to do, dad. Don't tell me what to do. I'll live my life my way I want to. And now, hey, dad, so, and then there's this other thing. And this other thing is, Pretty soon my dad started screening my calls, right? No, just kidding. He didn't. <laughs> yeah, right. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to this world, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you want to know God's will for your life? Live a life of repentance. Have a right mindset of the truths of God in his word. Repentance is key. Thirdly, to follow Jesus today means we will be tempted. Now, temptation in itself is not sin. Jesus was tempted, but he wasn't, he, he, he did not enter into sin. He was tempted to give up he was tempted to eat his food, the food that he desperately wanted to. He was tempted to, to, to stop walking the mission that God had called him to walk. And we are too. We're tempted to let our desires crowd out God's truth. We're tempted to give up following Jesus because of things that have happened. Some terrible things, some things we've done to ourselves. Temptation is a part of following Jesus. I, I read this study some years ago where they were trying to, to find... Um, they're trying to research the, the concept of self-control for people. And what they did was they put, they have two groups of people. In one, one group of people, they put them in a room, they individually put these people in a room with a plate of cookies on the table. And they would say, we want you to wait here. You cannot eat any cookies. And so the people would wait and wait and wait and wait, right? And then eventually they'd be taken out of the room. There was another room they would put people in they'd sit people down at, at, at the table and instead of a plate of cookies it was a plate of radishes and they would say we don't want you to eat any radishes while you're in here no problem <laughs> some of you like radishes that's fine but you still it's a little easier to exercise self-control over radishes and cookies right then what they did is these people same people then they gave them a test they said, we want you to trace this thing on a piece of paper, this shape, without lifting up your pencil. Anybody ever tried those before? This test was impossible to do. What they found was the people that had been in the radish room tried twice as long as the people that had been in the cookie room. Because the cookie people had to do, been exercising self-control to not eat the cookies where the radish people didn't. So they had more effort to give, more energy to give to trying to solve this puzzle. Interesting, right? This is the truth about temptation. The more we, are, we find ourselves in temptation, the 
the longer we sit in that temptation, dwell in that temptation, the harder it is to give, to not give into it. And so we can expect temptation in this life, but what the way that God has designed things is that we're not to do it alone. When we wrestle with these things, we, as a church, we share each other's burdens. We walk with each other. We encourage each other to avoid temptation and to live righteously. And the fourth thing that we see from the, this prologue in Mark's gospel is to lead other people to Jesus today means that we lead with the good news. The good news. You know, folks already know the bad news. The bad news is all around us. Now the, the news media is saying the pandemic's never going to go away. It is an endemic. It will always be here. The climate is changing. We see evidence of that all around us. Identity in our culture is nothing and it's everything. There is so much bad news. We don't need to lead with that. What we need to do is lead with hope. We need to lead with the good news of Jesus. And God has the final say. God promised he would send a Messiah, and he did. God promised that his news is the best news, and it is. God promised that he would return, and he will. So in the meantime, in a world surrounded by bad news, we've got some good news to tell. Jesus is alive. And his presence and his power is available to you and to me. And if you've been in the church for a long time, you need to be reminded of that as well. You need to remind his presence and his power is available to you. So when you are sick, we're going to pray and ask that the power of God would change the circumstances. When you are alone or you're dealing with temptation, you can cry out to God and his presence will minister to you. He will meet you where you're at. This is the good news that the church, us, have to share with the world. Amen? The church is evidence of this good news. And so we want, to, we want people to know it and to experience it. Not just to nod to it on Sunday morning, but to see a tangible expression of it. To know that your life, your challenges, your sickness, God wants to be a part of all of that. Jesus was there when the sinners were being baptized. And he is there waiting for you to repent, to see him differently, and to turn to him. Let's pray to that end this morning. Lord, there is so much bad news. There is so much that weighs on our hearts. Anxiety levels are at historic highs. More young people and old people alike are having panic attacks in their rooms for no apparent reason. We need the good news. We need to know that there is a God that holds it all together. That was faithful to keep his promises from thousands of years ago and is faithful to keep his promises today. So Father, would you first start with us? We can't lead people to something that we don't know ourselves. And so Father, today, would you reaffirm that in our hearts as your children? May we live a life of repentance. May we see things how you see them. And Lord, for people that don't know this truth, I pray today would be the day they say yes to you. That there be a humility in the midst of their brokenness. That they say, if Jesus has all the answers, I want to follow Jesus. 
And if that's you today, we want to pray with you after our worship time this morning. We don't want you to walk away from church thinking the same, believing the same. We want you to walk away believing something powerful, something good, something true. That Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. So, Father, as we leave this room today, I pray that we would be led by your spirit, that we would be the people of the presence and of the power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.